Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tonight, now that lab studies have proven that masks hold dangerous pathogens, can we sue businesses or governments who have forced us into wearing them? I will ask an attorney who is ready to go to war in the courtroom to stop the mask mandates once and for all. And Rogan O'Hanley, a.k.a. D.C. Drano, was banned on social media. So now he's suing Twitter. Rogan is here to tell us all about it. And Joe Biden made Juneteenth a holiday. But we have Joe Biden on tape last year showing that he had no idea what Juneteenth was even about. And we'll show it to you. All of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. Good evening, I'm Dr. Gina. Welcome to Primetime. We start off tonight with your doctor's orders. Joe Biden officially made Juneteenth a federal holiday, but does he even know what Juneteenth is? Well, we should, I guess, thank Joe Biden for, for, for fulfilling a Trump campaign promise that he made last year during a 2020 campaign, during the 2020 campaign. President Trump always talked about promises made, promises kept. And even though he's currently enjoying his days at his golf club at Bedminster, New Jersey, somehow Joe Biden just crossed an item off of Trump's list of campaign promises. And some in the leftist media are mocking President Trump for his statement he released last night where he took credit for making Juneteenth uh, very famous. And I'm pretty confident that Joe Biden would not have known anything about Juneteenth if Trump had not brought this to his attention because one year ago, after President Trump brought up Juneteenth, Joe Biden gave an explanation of what he thought Juneteenth was. And he wasn't even close. Listen. He's going down to Texas on Juneteenth, right? The first major massacre, literally speaking, of the uh, Black Wall Street, right, years ago. Yeah, but that wasn't what it was at all about a massacre of Black Wall Street. Uh, that's one year ago, and that's what Joe Biden thought Juneteenth was all about. So Biden can definitely thank Trump for making Juneteenth famous enough for Joe Biden to finally figure it out. Now, out there in social media, I've seen Trump supporters and those on the right going at each other over whether this was good, bad, or a horrible idea for Biden to make Juneteenth a national holiday. And I think celebrating the emancipation of slaves and victory over oppression is definitely a good thing. But celebrating it on this date is divisive and visceral and very intentional and here's why the end of slavery is a great thing to celebrate in america no one doubts that and it's a great reason for all americans to celebrate in fact that's kind of why we do uh, independence day and a lot of other holidays that we do like flag day and other things how about we celebrate lincoln's birthday for example february 12th you know the guy who actually did emancipate the slaves and who wrote the address that the socialists now claim uh, want to celebrate coincidentally on June 19th, but uh, they have all but canceled presidents' birthdays and torn down their statues, even Lincoln's. So that isn't really what this is all about. 
Turning Point did a great piece on this, and I have it posted on my Instagram right now. Uh, this, this Juneteenth thing, is all about race baiting and division. And if it weren't, why wouldn't they just celebrate Lincoln's birthday, which is February 12th, or the date that Lincoln actually gave the Emancipation Proclamation, which is January 1st? Or there are lots of days they could celebrate, but why June 19th? Well, because it's close to July 4th, which is, of course, our Independence Day. They want to divide us, and that's why they put it so close to our Independence Day. They love to do this. They've done it with Kwanzaa to distract from Christmas and Hanukkah, and the list goes on. And this is about replacing a day that belongs to all Americans, bringing us together, right? And they want to replace it with a race, racially charged day and talk about identity politics instead. And that's why, that's why it smacked wrong immediately to so many conservatives. It's instinctive. Many conservatives didn't know why exactly it felt wrong. They just knew they're not racist, but this felt wrong. And this is why, because it was so close to our Independence Day, the day that brings us all together as Americans, regardless of race, color, or creed, exactly like Abraham Lincoln wanted, exactly like Martin Luther King Jr. wanted, exactly like we in our fiber as non-racist Americans all want. Biden didn't do this to celebrate the end of slavery. He didn't even know that's what it meant. We all know that Joe Biden seeks to widen the racial divide in the United States. The beginning of the end of racism in America was when Lincoln freed the slaves. But Biden and the left do not want to end racism. They want to use racism to hold on to power. And in fact, the sign, the logo for the Juneteenth uh, celebration that they instated is the black power hand with the colors of not the American flag, but the African flag. Why would that be? Why would that be? The left wants to use the Juneteenth holiday to remind everyone of their belief that our country is systemically racist and they want to use it to push the 1619 project and critical race theory. That, my friends, is what this is about and that is why you should vehemently oppose it. But instead of being on the defensive like the Democrats always are, using everything to try to upend what President Trump did and putting them always on the defensive and making them always slip up. Let's flip this whole thing on its head and use this conversation to advocate for Lincoln's birthday or for an Emancipation Day to celebrate the defeat of the Democrats' favorite issue of all time, slavery. Remember, it's the Democrats who went to war in favor of slavery. The Democrats fought and died to keep slavery. Before the Civil War, Democrats voted to place slavery in their party platform. And in the same way that every Democrat today must be pro-abortion, every Democrat in the 1860s was absolutely required to be pro-slavery. The two big parties in American politics then were the pro-slavery Democrats and the Whig Party that was afraid to take a stance for or against slavery because they still had a few pro-slavery members of their party and they didn't want to lose them to the Democrats. Could you imagine pretending that the slavery issue didn't even exist? Well, it's somewhat similar to pretending that a border crisis doesn't exist today, and it does. We all know what happened. The Republican Party was formed as the anti-slavery party, and the Whig Party fell apart overnight. There was no room in America for being a squishy moderate even all those years ago. But the Republicans started winning seats in Congress and the Senate, and then they won the presidency. And suddenly, this brand-new Republican Party, with their very first Republican president, ended slavery. They don't want to talk about that.
We could also use this conversation to remind Democrats that the first black senator, Hiram Revels, was a Republican, a Republican, and Democrats in the chamber didn't want to allow him in the chamber back in 1870. Democrats finally elected their first black senator from their party 120 years later in the 1990s. That is the Democrat Party for you. And we all know the Democrats formed the KKK after the Civil War in an attempt to terrorize free black Americans into submission. And the Democrats had KKK members elected as Democrats in U.S. Senators up until Robert KKK Byrd died in office in 2010, you remember, the good friend of both Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. Now, the GOP has a very proud history, and we can keep building on that as the Republican Party becomes the party of America First and MAGA values. I encourage you to buff up on your history of the Republican Party. And as we take this party back from the establishment, we can continue to be proud of that history and use this moment to beat them at their own racist game because we are not the racists here, they are. Celebrate freedom and the Republican victory over slavery and the Democrats. Every time they mention their racist ideas, you can put them in their place. That is your doctor's orders. For today. Coming up, attorney and conservative activist Rogan O'Hanley is suing Twitter. We will ask him how he plans to bring down big tech. And Congressman Jerry Carl is up next. I will ask him if he supports giving Joe Biden a cognitive test, as some of his fellow GOP congressmen have called on him to do. Don't miss it. All of that and more coming up on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. Biden is back from his European trip where he made a fool of himself in front of the rest of the world and looked weak in front of Russian President Vladimir Putin and, of course, the rest of the world. And Anthony Fauci has been so glad, has to be so glad, rather, that the world finally looked away from his emails for a few days to watch bumbling Biden shuffle across Europe and get lost and do all the rest of the things he did. But we haven't forgotten about Fauci. Fauci finally admitted that, yes, he did think the lab leak theory was likely, although he only admits this now because we can all see his emails. He doesn't have much of a choice, actually. We also know that he said different things privately about mask wearing than he did in public. Someone else who hasn't been distracted from holding Fauci accountable is Congressman Jerry Carl from the great state, my sweet home of Alabama. And he joins us right now. Thanks for being here, Congressman. We're always glad to have you. Great to be with you, Dr. Gina. Congressman, I fear that we will let Fauci off the hook just like so many times in the past when bureaucrats have wronged Americans, but they just fade into obscurity and uh, they, then they get a huge consulting gig with some big D.C. firm and they sit back and they enjoy their millions as a private citizen. Will Fauci be held accountable, do you think, for putting us through more than a year of miserable lockdowns and mask mandates and lying to us about the origins of COVID? And when it really comes down to it, being responsible for we don't know how many deaths at this point for information that he pumped out knowing it was wrong. 
You know, yeah, look at the business community. How many businesses have closed? How much money has been lost in the business community? I mean, the lives are, are, are hard. I mean, you can count overall numbers, but you don't know how his decisions actually affected, uh, you know, the, the numbers itself. But I think he's going to be held liable. I truly do. Uh, up here on the Hill, we've not lost sight of it. Uh, we haven't lost sight of a number of the issues, but the business community is uh, will wake up. Once they get their feet up under them, they'll get their voice. Their voice will be next. And you'll see the business community starting to push back and, and wanting some, some not necessarily compensation, but they're, they're going to want to see Fauci pay for these decisions that he made. And, and what do you foresee happening with Fauci? I mean, in, in, in real terms, because it, it feels so often, I think, especially to MAGA-minded patriots, like those that do wrong, I wouldn't even know where to begin to start, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Obama, uh, so many others who've, you know, really done things that seem, if not treasonous in most cases, right up to that line or beyond it. Um, and they're never held accountable. I mean, you know, the guy that's sitting in the Oval Office right now, for example, uh, and his son, and just nobody seems to ever be held accountable. So what makes you believe Fauci is different? Well, Fauci's, if we can get a look at Fauci's financials, uh, his financial investments, I think it will answer a lot of questions for us. Uh, in, in that particular situation, if my instinct is right, uh, we would certainly have some legal bounds to, to tie him up. Uh, if, if we can prove he made money off of this pandemic, I don't know that he has. I have nothing at this point to prove that. But just my, my gut instincts tells me there's got to be a reason why he would mislead the American so much, say one thing to his colleagues and something totally different to everyone else. So, you know, we, we've got to get a look into his private emails. We've got to get a look into his his, his personal finances. And until we do that, we're, we're dead in the water. So we, we have a bill that we, we, we've been trying to get some uh, sponsorship on, get it on the floor. I have no idea if we can get the Democrats, any Democrats to have a voice in it or not. I truly don't know at this point. Congressman, there are a group of Republican lawmakers led by Ronnie Jackson, who, as we all know, was the former White House physician, and they're calling on Biden to take a cognitive test. Congressman, this is such a sad issue because it's painful to watch someone, anyone, even Joe Biden, who I very much disagree with. It's still painful to watch him decline. But at some point, the country is more important than feeling bad for someone. So where do you come down on this cognitive test for Biden and his mental state? I think it's I think it's a fair thing to ask. I mean, the Democrat Party counted Trump, wanted Trump to take take the same test. Why is why why is it not uh, fair to ask Biden to do the same thing? I tell you, Congressman Jackson is one sharp guy. I've I've dealt with uh, doctors my entire life with a healthcare background. He is a smart fellow, especially when it comes to healthcare. And he, he talked to me about some of the signs that he sees uh, in, in our president that, that, that kind of sets off those little alerts that's telling him that something's wrong. So I, I think it's a fair question. Uh, if, if it's okay for Trump, why is it not okay for Biden? You know, if, if they're so adamant about Trump taking it, why not Biden? The same And then thing. there's dealing... Yeah, yeah. And then there's dealing with the demon, you know, <laughs> you know, if you if you 
lose Biden, then uh, you likely end up with Kamala. Would that change anything? Have, have we looked into the fact um, that if then, if then Kamala is somehow instated or voted on in some legal manner uh, by Congress, if, if Joe Biden were ousted because of mental uh, incapacity, um, would, that, would that in any way interfere with some sort of reinstatement of Trump if the audits were to come to that? I, that's a lot of ifs, and, and, and I, I truly, we don't have enough time to unpackage that. But the idea of, of <laughs> Harris as president and Nancy Pelosi as vice president ought to scare the witches out of everybody. I mean, that <laughs> is a scary thought right there. So I'm pulling for, for the president Biden to stay in office. I would like to see the test done. If it's something that we can fix with, with, with a few pills, uh, you know, with, with, with some, some uh, uh, help, we, we should take care of that. I don't uh, I don't know where we're at, but the idea of, I don't understand exactly what we can do for him. Ronnie can answer that one much much better. But but the idea of those two taking over the the, the White House itself is scary. That is a scary thought. Biden's Europe trip. Yeah. yeah, Biden's Europe trip. Congressman led him to meet with Vladimir Putin, and uh, many are concerned with what Biden may have conceded to Putin in especially that private meeting. He already shut down our pipeline construction, of course, as you know, here in the U.S., and as he opened up their pipeline project there in Russia. And I have to wonder what else Biden was willing to hand over to Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Does that concern you and other members of Congress? What was the talk there? You know, I've been here for six months, and I feel like I know more than our president knows. You know, there's a lot of things they tell us up here we can't repeat, and I, and I don't, you know, I, I think national security certainly takes over uh, my time in office, and I should I should uh, be focused on national security. But, you know, we've got so many problems, and Russia is, is just part of it. When you look at Latin America, we have China moving in Latin America daily, and we need to be focused on Latin America. And, and, and to go over there and give Putin a list of things to stay away from, I mean, he would be way down my list, but I would simply tell him, as Donald Trump would tell him, you stay away from everything. I'm not going to give you a list. Just take my word for it. Anything you do, we're going to retaliate. We know a lot more than we can say, and I'm talking about the elected officials up here dealing with Russia. We know a lot more than's being spoken, and we can do a lot more than we're doing. And we can do that very simply, very quickly. And if we don't, put a stop to what Russia's doing, uh, what's going to be next? I mean, they're also attacking all the other countries around us. It's not just America, but right now they're just poking at Biden to see how far they can actually push him. Uh, and uh, he's not a Donald Trump. Uh, he, he's, he's definitely a, a totally different personality. Uh, you know, he's, he's more, I don't, I don't want to get too personal here, but but if it was Donald Trump, Trump would say, stay away from everything or deal with me directly. And that's what we need more of. We need people that are willing up and stand, stand up for this country and then quit worrying about people's feelings overseas. Tell them what you want them to hear. Real simple. Yeah. Well, if your son has taken millions of dollars from the uh, mayor's wife of Moscow, you might be a little compromised on that. But, <laughs> but you're well, right. Ideally, that would be how it was. But uh, Congressman, we always appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. Take care. You do the same.
All right, now you may have seen the news that our good friend DC Drano, aka Rogan O'Hanley, was banned from Twitter. So he isn't just sitting around complaining about that, he is doing something about it. And Rogan O'Hanley is suing Twitter. He is here with us now. Rogan, great to see you. Thank you for having me on, Dr. Gina. Rogan, I've heard over and over during this whole social media extravaganza, I guess, a big tech debate, <laughs> that Twitter is a private entity and can do anything it wants with impunity or that they are protected by the infamous Section 230 that we've all heard about. So how do you intend to beat Twitter here? Let me be one of the first to say that I think this case is going to change American history, and I don't say that lightly. This mm -hmm. case is different from all the other cases, and God bless Judicial Watch for providing us with the resources to take this to the top. Uh, let me explain real quick. I got banned from Twitter in February. They cited... Uh, my violations of civic integrity, basically saying that I was giving misinformation on elections, even though there's no election for another two years at that point. Uh, they didn't like that I was talking about audits and investigations and tweets were flagged and I was ultimately booted off. Well, Judicial Watch released a bunch of documents about a month and a half later, thousands of documents that they had been secret, secretly requesting from the California Secretary of State's office that showed the California Secretary of State was looking through social media, finding posts that they didn't like that specifically targeted California elections, sending them right to Twitter, and then Twitter would say, don't worry, we got you, we'll take those down. That's why this is different, because by Twitter doing that, they become what's known as a joint state actor. And the First Amendment protects against government infringing on your free speech, and that's what happened here. They are no different than the government when they take orders from the government like that. Hmm, very interesting. Um, strange bedfellows in this debate. Big tech has some enemies on the right and on the left. Are you expecting any help from anyone on the left, like congressional Democrats who've been critical of big tech, for example? Unfortunately, no. Even though this is an issue that all Americans should be able to support, you know, even my own mother, God bless her, I love her, uh, she's pretty left-leaning, and even she said, yeah, this is wrong what they did to you when the government gets involved. So uh, I am not expecting it for, for a variety of reasons, because this actually, this was a small thread on a sweater that we started pulling, and we did not realize how deep this goes. Ready for this? So the current junior senator of California is a guy named Alex Padilla. He was picked by Gruesome Newsome after Kamala was elevated. Guess what Alex Padilla was before that? The Secretary of State, okay? And what he did is he hired this firm called SKD Knickerbocker, which is a Biden campaign firm. He used tax dollars, $35 million to hire this firm, and that firm based, uh, for get out the vote efforts, and then that firm would target people like me, President Trump, others, and send back to his office who they should tell Twitter to censor, okay? And then the uh, uh, California Democrats actually opposed Alex Padilla hiring this firm because he did it in such a shady process. Even Democrats in California were opposed to using this firm because it was a blatant Biden campaign firm. 
And then we find out the head of that firm now works in the White House with Joe Biden. So this connects top to bottom, a U.S. senator, the White House, the California state government, and big tech. It ties them all into a little bow. Tucker Carlson couldn't even believe it. He goes, oh, my gosh, this is like third world country stuff. And we have the evidence. We have the emails. They're done. And when do you expect all of this to start really um, crumbling their house of cards? Well, I would say an expeditious timeline is on the one and a half to two year track uh, for it to work its way through the courts. You know, we're taking on, I call it Drano versus Goliath. Uh, it's just me. I don't work for anybody. And I'm taking on big tech, California, a U.S. senator and Biden's campaign firm. So. As you can imagine, that's the whole beast. That's the whole machine. But freedom of speech is too important to just sit back and let this happen. Because one day I'm going to look at my kids and they're going to say, Dad, what did you do when Chinese censorship came to America? I'm going to say I fought like hell. Yeah, well, you are definitely to be commended. We've all been looking for an angle to fight this. And everybody I know tries in their own way this though is a huge, huge way and uh, just so proud of you and so thankful for this opportunity because I feel like you're fighting for all of us who've been censored, shadow banned and all the rest of it. My own family uh, pushed out of California by the governor because my husband was uncovering their union corruption that was put padding the pockets of the politicians. And when I tell people they can't believe it, when I tell people we, ha we were driven out of California because the governor wrote two bills making our family illegal, making my husband's job illegal people can't believe it that's the level of corruption in california so i believe everything you said it's very easy for me to accept it because i witnessed it uh when i lived there but you know uh, moving out of california is uh, never a bad option either so that's what i yeah Yes, but you got to finish this first. Um, and so anyway, we are so proud of you and so thankful that you took the time uh, to come here and explain it to our audience today because I know that your time is very much in demand, especially now with all of this going on. Suing is, people tend to think that it's an easy thing to do, but it is extraordinarily, I had to take on uh, the people that wrote lies about me and it's extraordinarily time consuming, I know. So thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Gina, and I promise this is going to make waves one day. Stay tuned. All right. We'll be here for you. Thank you, Rogan. Coming up, now that we know how harmful masks are, now that we know the pathogens found in used masks can be terrifying, is it time to go to court to fight the mask mandates? We have an attorney who's ready to go to court to help free our faces from masks, even in places like airports. Airplanes, federal buildings, that's next, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, we brought you the story earlier this week of the horrible pathogens that a lab found inside of six masks worn by children. So now that we know that masks are potentially deadly, 
Is it time to go to court to make sure that no one else is forced to wear masks ever again? Let's ask Jeff Childers. He is a commercial litigation attorney, and he joins us now. Jeff, it's great to have you on the show. I've been wanting to have this conversation for longer than I can even tell you because I had a feeling um, just from taking basic biology, Jeff, that wearing these masks was not smart. And then I searched it, couldn't use Google, couldn't use big tech, had to use DuckDuckGo or one of the alternative services. But I looked at uh, studies back from the early 1900s um, from the last go around with the big flu epidemic and found out that masks were banned for what was found inside of them then. But they had covered up the studies, Jeff. So uh, tell me about this. Well, the uh, mass study that you referred to and that's been in the news uh, the last few days has came from Alachua County, where I live. I have been in contact with a number of those parents. And in fact, uh, we have a subpoena out to the lab researcher who did that test. I'm currently suing the Polk County School Board on behalf of 46 plaintiffs. That's uh, 18 adults and 26 kids. And we're arguing that masks hurt some children. And I've got affidavits and I've got experts ready to testify. And I think we're going to um, just put this thing away. I don't think at this point in the pandemic, it's even deniable anymore. So you're suing a school um, and this is, is this retrospectively for damage done? Or is this uh, to get the masks off? Or what exactly is the lawsuit about? When we filed the lawsuit about a month and a half ago, it was at a time when the school board was still insisting that the kids wore masks and they would not agree to lift the mask mandate even for the fall term. Uh, since then, they have agreed to lift that mandate. Oops. Um, but uh, the mask mandate is still in the books. And so we're amending the complaint right now to sue for damages. Okay, okay. And do you expect that you will be bringing forth other lawsuits? For example, um, you know, I know federal buildings are still mandating uh, wearing masks. Even here in Florida, I keep hearing about federal buildings. We know airlines are worse about it than ever. I heard yesterday of a, of a woman who was forced to wear her mask and slip her food underneath her mask to eat it on the plane, not allowed to take it down even for eating, um, things like that. Do you, do you predict that other lawsuits are forthcoming against especially some of these institutions that should be informed that these studies are out there and that masks are dangerous? Well, um, one week ago today, the first district court of appeal handed down an opinion for us finding that masking was presumptively unconstitutional. We got that decision about one o'clock last Friday. And that is the result of a lawsuit that we filed over a year ago. And we argued that under the Florida constitutional right to privacy, masks are presumptively unconstitutional. The trial court rejected that. We took it up on appeal. We went to oral arguments in November. And finally, last week, we got a decision that was better than anything we could have hoped for. And just to review, I want to go through, because if people missed the show the other day, um, where we had Rational Grounds, uh, um, I guess the guy that runs it on there, uh, Justin Hart, um, he's been on our show multiple times throughout the whole 
um, so-called pandemic, and he has explained to us over and over again that every time mask mandates were instituted by certain counties or whatever, um, that the incidence of uh, of uh, COVID actually usually raised or stayed the same, but they didn't go down when mask mandates were instituted. Um, and other charts and graphs and data and research uh, going all the way through this entire whole time of COVID. Um, and then he's the one who brought this uh, study to our attention as well. And um, some of the things that were found inside the mask were quite scary. Um, I, I remember there were uh, things that you would never think, but among them, among the horrifying things found inside the mask, uh, uh, sepsis, um, uh, all sorts of staph infections, including those that were antibiotic resistant, um, just really some terrifying things that I'm going from memory here and can't think of all of them. Um, but among yeah. them were, was not COVID, which was interesting to me. Well, that's true, and uh, I think the ones you were trying to think of were tuberculosis, uh, yeah. antibiotic-resistant E. coli, and meningitis. Yeah, in meningitis. Just, uh, yeah. Half, yeah, in a half a dozen masks. So from a legal perspective, what this mask study does is it provides evidence. So in the case that I was just telling you about where the first DCA gave us the presumptively unconstitutional ruling, now we have law. And you take something like the mask study and you combine it with the law, now we have facts and law. And I know there are a lot of um, you know outlets, even the University of Florida I saw today is pushing back against this and saying, well, you know, we don't know what the chain of custody looked like. We don't know what these parents might've been doing with these masks before they uh, turned them into the lab. Well, that's fair, but they're gonna have to show at this point, we have the, this study. And so if somebody wants to challenge it, they're going to have to come with their own study that shows something different. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that, Gina, because I think we all know that those moist fabric masks that these kids are being forced to wear all day long in unhygienic circumstances are breeding grounds for what you can see are a panoply of pathogens. It's really, really terrible. And this is this explains why a lot of kids are having chronic respiratory problems, are having staph and strep infections on their faces, are having chronic nosebleeds, headaches, you name it. I mean, I've got uh, I've got a stack of affidavits this thick from parents about the the harms that their kids are enduring wearing these masks. Yeah, and adults too. And never mind hypoxia, which is another problem, the oxygen depletion. And never mind the mental component, which I think we'll be reading about for years to come, especially in younger children. Um, and so the list goes on and on. We're not even discussing any of that here on the show today, but uh, I think it all plays into this. And uh, it's a big part of the reason why masks were banned uh, in the early 1900s. Um, for exactly some of these reasons. And so, uh, you know, once the, once the scientists get on board with this and realize the real science, soon to follow, I think, will be the psychiatrists and the mental health professionals who will be talking about damages there as well. So if I owned a business or I owned a big company, I'd be getting those masks off as fast as I possibly could because I think they're all setting themselves up for big lawsuits. But uh, meanwhile, attorneys like you, um, sadly, because nobody wants to capitalize on something that is so sickening, um, I, I think you all will be busy uh, in the years to come looking back at the damage that has been done to human beings for, um, for what was a great experiment um, because Fauci said to wear them even though I think he knew better. 
So, Jeff Childers, we appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep us posted, would you? I will. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. All right, Portland, Oregon is ground zero for Antifa violence and almost nightly riots. One member of the riot squad on the Portland PD has been indicted for clashing with a photographer during the riots, and now the entire 50-member riot squad has resigned. Imagine that. These officers are still employees of the police department, but they don't want anything to do with, the control, with controlling these riots that are destroying their city now that they can be arrested for doing their job. Here with me now is someone who has been on the ground in Portland quite a bit over the past year. Drew Hernandez is here and also joining us, somebody who spent a long time as a nutly New Jersey police officer and also on the Joint Terrorism Task Force, Lieutenant Steve Rogers. Thanks to both of you for being here today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Drew, want to go to you first. You have some intimate knowledge of this story. Would you share? Yeah, well, in terms of Antifa, uh, I was on the ground uh, those 150-plus days in Portland last year. I was on the ground for the majority of them. And what people need to understand is the police officers, there was a lot of violent rhetoric that was aimed towards them from Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters at their rallies and on the ground as well. Uh, to the extent of one of the protesters saying that she wished that um, police officers were strangled by their umbilical cords when they were babies. Uh, she was calling for war against police officers. And I caught all that footage just about two days before this alleged excessive uh, force accusation against this police officer um, that has been indicted for. That was the kind of rhetoric that was aimed against these police officers. And might I add, they're throwing Molotov cocktails at sheriff buildings. They're trying to burn down federal buildings, the federal courthouse with people inside of them, the ICE facilities. Uh, listen, Antifa are not protesters. These people are violent insurrectionists, and they're extremely organized. And I want to add this. Part of the report said that he uh, used excessive force against a, a photographer or an activist. Listen, these people stage their own photographers in order to run cover for the violent people throwing Molotov cocktails. Every time you see an Antifa riot, it literally is run like a playbook. You have to think of it like, a, like the NFL. You have your linebackers, a quarterback, and a wide receiver. When you see the people with the shields, that is a position they play. When you see the people with the umbrellas, that is a position that they play. When you see their press, so-called press, that is another position that they pray, uh, play to run cover for those that are committing mass violence. So I just want to give your viewers, Dr. Gina, some, some nuance on what's actually happening in Portland. Everything is aimed at these police officers. It's a lot of violent rhetoric. Uh, and these police officers have every right to defend themselves against people throwing Molotov cocktails at them. This is, this is beyond rioting. This is attempted murder, Dr. Gina. Mm. Those poor citizens, too. Steve, what will it take for these cities to wake up? Because these 50 officers resigning, and this is a big deal, but I'm not sure that the leftists care. Because, you know, will it take police officers walking off the job completely to make a difference here. The cities are already war zones, so now what? Well, this is not isolated to Portland. Police recruitments no. are way down. Police academies right. are empty. Retirements are high, but here's what's going to happen. Sooner or later, the violent criminals are going to go into the neighborhoods of the lawmakers, of the judges, of those individuals who are allowing this to take place. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see anybody hurt or injured. 
when we're dealing with criminal elements who simply, there's no other word I can describe of, of them as animals. They're out there to destroy, to kill, to maim. So police officers are now going to be going into what they call a reactive mode, a reactive patrol methodology, meaning proactive policing is gone. There's going to be no more uh, community policing, no more trying to build bridges. Everything is now in survival mode. Wait for the crime to happen, then respond. Now we're in a situation where we're not going to have enough police to respond. And unfortunately, the blood of, of a lot of people is going to be shed on the streets of this country. So, Drew, what is your prediction um, as to where this ends? If you can feel, if you have any feel for that, having been there on the ground so long. I mean, do, do, the, do the people who live in these cities, because a lot of times, in fact, most times, because um, I've been on the ground in some of these cities as well, and, and you realize that most of these people are not locals. They come in, they're imported, they're bussed in. Um, many of them are paid. We won't get into how, but we know that they are paid and well-funded to be there. Um, so where do you see this ending? Will the citizenry rise up and, and say we want to create our own private police forces? Where does this end? I think possibly. But I think if that happens, we all know how that's going to end. They're going to be declared domestic terrorists. Uh, the federal government is going to side with the real domestic terrorists, Antifa. Anybody, it, it seems right now, uh, up is down and down is up, right? Everything is upside yeah. down. When innocent people are now defending themselves against, against domestic terrorists like Antifa, they get called the domestic terrorists. They're the ones that True. get thrown in jail because law and order has been attacked and subverted. Black Lives Matter has effectively done that. Antifa has effectively done that. And these local politicians, even all the way up to the federal government, this is why you hear Joe Biden come out and say that Antifa is only an idea. They give him a pass. Jerry Nadler said that it, it, it's a myth. These people give them a pass. So the innocent people are going to get hurt in the end, Dr. Gina. Innocent people that may rise, they may protect themselves, because good police officers are going to lead to other police forces in different states, predominantly red states, that will actually yeah. uh, embrace them and appreciate them. But these, these, these blue cities are just going to end in total destruction, violence, mayhem, and murder. And the people that keep voting for this are the people that are actually to blame as well. And I would advise people, man, Jack Posobiec has been saying this too, leave blue cities. Leave the big cities. You're not safe. You have the Second Amendment, but even if you use it, you're going to end up getting de uh, designated a domestic terrorist anyways. So go somewhere where it's safe and you have a governor or a mayor that's actually going to protect your free rights. That's what I advise people to do right now because Portland's the model, Dr. Gina. Portland, Seattle, these big blue cities, the, that's the model of the defund the police Marxist agenda, and they want to roll that out across the United States of America. So I advise Americans to get away any region uh, that is advocating for these things. That's where it ends in bloodshed, and it's sad. Steve, do you agree? Oh, Drew just nailed it. In fact, to confirm what Drew, Drew just uh, articulated, the McClaskies in Louisiana did exactly that. They were protecting their lives and their property. They were forced to plead guilty to a misdemeanor and give up their weapons. So uh, look, at the, things should be done peacefully. Uh, Drew's right. Get out of those cities, but more so elect people to office that are going to watch your back and protect you. Uh, we need to pray for our cops. You know, I've always said pray for our police officers, support them, let them know you're on their side. But I am hopeful that things are going to turn around because, you know, enough is enough. The American people are resilient. They're going to rise up. And I say rising up, not by uh, use of force, but getting to the polls and doing what needs to be done to take care of this country. Thank you so much, Drew Hernandez and Steve Rogers. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You're welcome.
Coming up, a congressman had a Zoom call mishap. It wasn't as bad as Jeffrey Tubin, but it was still pretty embarrassing. We're going to show it to you up next. You don't want to miss it. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this. Stick around. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Tune in Monday for an exclusive interview with former President Donald Trump. Don't miss Donald Trump on Water Cooler with David Brody, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. You know that stinger. That means it's time for some news you did not know. And here to help, as always, from our RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. Good to see you too, Dr. Gina. And since Sunday is Father's Day, I thought I'd talk about the first Father's Day here in the U.S., which was celebrated on June 19, 1910. The day was celebrated in Washington State only, and it was inspired by Mother's Day. A woman from Washington State named Sonora Smart Dodd was raised by her father father, a widower, and she wanted to establish a holiday similar to Mother's Day, but for fathers. Uh, so in 1909, she went around her local area to try and get support to back her idea, and it all worked out because the next year was the first Father's Day that was celebrated statewide. Over the years, Father's Day eventually caught on, and it was celebrated nationally in 1924. And Dr. Gina, we hear so much about deadbeat fathers these days, but we should never allow them to negate the great job being done by the upstanding fathers of the world, like my father, my husband, and my brother, three of the best fathers I know. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there from all of us here at Real America's Voice. And just we just want you to know that you are always appreciated. What a wonderful reminder, Jessica. Thank you so much. And it is so true. The fathers of this world truly, truly uphold the standard of the one and only, uh, you know, God. That's the way I see it. They work as the Godhead in families, and it's, we can't understate that. Thank you so much, Jessica, for that great reminder and that history, which I didn't know. Thank you, and you have a wonderful Father's Day with your family. You too, Dr. Gina. You're welcome. All right, we have another Zoom call mishap to report, and to help us with this story is our favorite Freedom Friday guest. That is Bruce Lavelle. Bruce, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Mm -hmm. Happy Friday to you, Bruce. Bruce, I have to ask you about this New Jersey Congressman, Donald Payne. He was caught in his underwear with his belly hanging out during a Zoom call meeting. And uh, you can see screenshots of Congresswoman Kat Kamek covering her mouth and freaking out just a little bit. But Bruce, <laughs> didn't this guy learn anything from the whole Jeffrey Tubin thing? I mean, I think I don't know. I don't do a lot of Zoom calls. I'm one of these people that like never experienced COVID the way most people did. I didn't do the Zoom calls. Florida stayed open. I keep going, oh, COVID was a thing. I had COVID, but other than that, it didn't happen. But, um, you know, I didn't do these Zoom call things like everybody else seemed to, except for this with you a lot. Um, but, you know, don't people learn to like turn their computer or something? I don't look, know. Look, I don't tell everybody. Just because you're not going to the office or you're not, or you go on these calls, you need to dress like you're going to the office to avoid this type of incident. And listen, yes. when, the poor lady, Please. when she was watching, she was just like, 
I thought it was like, this is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm coming to join you. <laughs> like, I thought it was, yeah. it looked like one of the most Sanford and Son skits and the poor lady. She didn't know how to react to it. But this is a lesson uh, for everybody. Get on these Zoom exactly. calls, get on these Skype interviews like you're going to the office to avoid any of this type of uh, <laughs> inappropriate exactly. or whatever you want to call it. All right, Bruce. And hold on tight now because it is time for our meme of the day. And here we see Joe Biden doing a face palm. Nine out of four Biden voters regret their decision. This is not a surprise to me. This could be taken a few ways. It could be that this is the kind of math Joe Biden does, or it could mean that there is a heck of a lot more votes than voters in some places like, I don't know, Georgia? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's sad because it looks like he's going, all my life, all my life, my mama, my daddy, man. You know, look, hey. It's 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 sad, but it's funny. But it's I we all said we told you so. They but hid, they sheltered him and in we place, did. and this is what we got. This is what we got. Bruce, thanks so much for being with us, and thanks to all of you for joining us tonight. Thanks to everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, RAV TV. Live from Studio 6, be up next with Damon and the crew. Don't forget to tune in Monday. Hug your children. Love your God. You go boldly now. Live the truth and have a wonderful Father's Day to all of you great fathers out there that I know are in this audience. God bless you.